So we mentioned over the last few weeks that this year we want to dedicate more time to focused prayer. It's not that we weren't praying before, all right, but we want to create space for us as a church to be doing that more collectively. And so during the month of March, we're in March, can you believe that? We'll be having video updates from our missionaries. We'll also be sending those out to you during the week as a reminder. And we want you to be praying for our missionaries who are supported, sent by, in our greater network, and calls LifeSpring home. The work our missionaries do is vital to fulfilling the Great Commission, and they need our prayers and support to continue. And so with that, I'll ask you if you could turn your attention to the screens and let's watch this video from Karen Grubbs, our missionary, who is serving and ministering to the needs of the people over in south of Sudan and northern Uganda. Just want to bring you greetings from Moyos. I'm standing in the middle of our half-finished Moyo Four Square Church. As you can see, we're in need of a few windows and some paint, some electrical concrete floor, all those good things. But we're still using it every Sunday morning and for some discipleship and other programs during the week. We do children's ministries sometimes on Saturdays and during their break in here. But God is moving. It doesn't matter if we got the paint and electrical. God is still doing some amazing things. Meanwhile, up in Ajo, where our training center is, is we've got the nursery school going. We just started our second year And we've got about 35 students right now. We're looking somewhere between 40 and 50. Uh, We're putting up a third temporary block for another group of students. And meanwhile, we've got a new teacher. It's just exciting to see what God is doing, especially in this community where um, witchcraft and Islam and a lot of other religious factors are involved. And there's a conflict with uh, the actual true gospel. Anyway, we are doing some great. Uh, as uh, some of you have heard, we've had some conflict on the other side of the border that has affected uh, many of the refugees that we work with. And uh, it's, it's very tenuous, but right now our focus has been just ministering to those who have been affected by it. And uh, we're waiting to see what God is going to do through this whole thing. Uh, Those who have gone back, some of them are coming home. Some of them are concerned that their crops have been planted and they have no way of going back and harvesting right now. So pray for them. Pray for us. Um, Thank you for all your support. So as she mentioned, pray for us and pray for them. And I'd like to invite my wife at this time to come and pray for Karen Grubbs, and we'll do that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, I just lift up uh, Karen to you, Lord. The work of missionaries are just, it's just so important. It's so life-changing. Um, we're here because of the work of missionaries. And, and so I just, um, I pray for Karen in, in the midst of all of this, Lord, for just more of the Holy Spirit 
for her to see people with the eyes that you want her to see them, for her to teach as you want her to teach. God, I pray for discernment for, um, just like Jesse prayed this morning, for words of knowledge, God, for um, just words of wisdom in her situation. Father, I, I pray for, even as she works, Lord, that you would continue to um, just give her the joy of experiencing the beauty of Africa as she uh, continues to share those pictures with us, Lord, but that it would be so, so deep and and um, life-giving for her, Lord. Um, I pray for the impact that she will have and continues to have, that that will go tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold, as, as we don't know the ways in which you work, Lord, but... Um, I recall just this verse that says that you bring people from a far-off land to do the thing that you would want them to do. And so the work that you have given her, Lord, to do, I pray that it would be blessed. I pray that she would be filled with joy, with peace. God, that there would be protection um, all around her. I pray for the people that she's ministering to, Lord, that you would open their eyes, that you would be the one that does that work and that... Um, like Pastor Dan was just saying, God, that when Jesus comes in, he just changes everything. And so I pray for, for that change that only you can bring about. And I pray for those people's crops, Lord, that they'd be able to get back and to, to do the work of their hands and their livelihood, Lord. There is a work that's happening that we don't see, but, but you do and Karen does. And I just pray your blessing over her, God, that you would just wrap her up in your arms, that you would direct her footsteps um, where she should go, straight ahead, to the right, to the left, wherever, Lord, but that everything that she does will be to your honor and to your glory, even in her humanness, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Would you turn your attention to the screen again as we watch this video? mainly for the fact that God is never even mentioned, not once, which might strike you as kind of odd. I mean, isn't the Bible about God? But this is a brilliant technique by the author, who's anonymous, by the way. It's an invitation to read this story looking for God's activity, and there are signs of it everywhere. The story is full of very odd, quote, coincidences and ironic reversals, and it all forces you to see God's purpose at work, but behind the scenes. Let's just dive into the story. The book opens with the king of Persia throwing two elaborate banquet feasts that last a total of 187 days. And it's all for the grandiose purpose of displaying his greatness and splendor. On the last day of the banquet feast, he's really drunk, and he demands that his wife, Queen Vashti, appear at the party to show off her beauty. 
she refuses. And so in a drunken rage, the king deposes Vashti and makes the silly decree that all Persian men should now be the masters of their own homes. Then he holds a beauty pageant because he wants to find a new queen. This is like a really bad soap opera. But it's right here that we're introduced to Esther and Mordecai. Esther hides her Jewish identity and enters the beauty pageant and wins. And the king is so obsessed with Esther that he elevates her to become the new queen of Persia. Now after this, and even more serendipitous, is the fact that Mordecai just happens to overhear two royal guards plotting to murder the king. And so he informs Esther, who in turn informs the king, and Mordecai gets credit for saving the king's life. Now right here from the beginning, God's not mentioned anywhere, but this all seems providentially ordered. What is it that God's up to? You have to keep reading. We're next introduced to Haman, who's not actually a Persian. He's called an Agagite. He's a descendant of the ancient Canaanites. Remember 1 Samuel chapter 15. The king elevates Haman to the highest position in the kingdom, and he demands that everybody kneel before Haman. Well, when Mordecai sees Haman, he refuses to kneel, which of course fills Haman with rage. And when he finds out that Mordecai's Jewish, Haman successfully persuades the king to enact this crazy decree to destroy all of the Jewish people. And to decide the date of the Jews' annihilation, Haman rolls the dice. A die is called Pur in Hebrew. Tuck that away for later. Eleven months later, on the 13th of Adar, all the Jews will die. Haman and the king then have a drinking banquet to celebrate their really horrible decision. So the focus now turns to Mordecai and Esther, who are the only hope for the Jewish people. They make a plan that Esther is going to reveal her Jewish identity to the king and ask him to reverse the decree. But approaching the king without a royal request is, according to Persian law, an act worthy of death. So in a key statement, Mordecai, he's confident that even if Esther remains silent, that deliverance for the Jews will arrive from another place. And then Mordecai wonders aloud. He says, who knows? Maybe you've become queen for this very moment. Esther responds with bravery, and she purposes to go to the king with her amazing words, if I perish, I perish. All right, so if you haven't or if you've been tracking with us or you're visiting with us that brings you up to speed with where we're at we've been going through the book of esther and today we're in chapters five and six let's open in prayer father we thank you for your word god open our ears and our heart god open our minds father to receive from you amen you know everybody makes plans some for the near future and some far in advance some of us might have plans for what you'll do after service for the next hour. Hopefully, part of that includes listening to the sermon. Um, amen. Taking notes as well. Some of us have plans for next week. Some of us make plans for the next year or the next decade. Others of us might even plan for our retirement. And of course, we all need to make some plans for our lives, either for the day ahead or the far horizon of our retirement. However, as we do so, or maybe some of you are there already, you're already retired, so you're going through that season. However, as we do so, we need to remember that our plans are always tentative because we all live our lives within God's greater overall plan. 
Last Sunday, we ended in chapter 4 with Esther finally accepting the challenge to identify with the Jews and help them in their predicament. With determination, she formulated a plan and started to put it into action, and she called for a collective fast. And the Bible Project video we just watched, again, brings us up to where we are at today. And in chapter 5, we find two of the main characters making plans. Esther revealed more of her plan in the first scene. And so this morning, I'd like to break up the passages into three scenes, so almost like a play. And so Act 1, or Scene 1, if you may, runs from verses 1 to 8 of Esther chapter 5. Then Haman made his plans in the second scene, verses 9 to 14. So if you remember, so far in the book of Esther, we have seen how banquets were occasions where important events occurred. Now, in chapter 5, we see Esther's boldness in action as she approaches the king with her request. This chapter provides a powerful example of how God uses human agency to accomplish his purposes and how we can trust in his providence in the midst of challenging circumstances. And so the first scene, I've titled this way, Esther's Courageous Approach. Esther 5, 1 to 8. We'll read verse 1 first and come to the other uh, verses. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. Now, can you imagine the agony she undergoes beforehand, choosing the right dress, the right shoes, the right perfume, and hairstyle for this occasion? She's very careful to not go before the king in her sackcloth and ashes. This would have almost assured her death, since those in mourning were not allowed into the king's presence. And so once she's dressed... She goes before the king, and probably as she is dressing, I mean, walk this out with me, she, she's probably thinking, this may be the last time I wear these robes. This may be the last time I walk these halls. This is probably the scariest moment of Esther's life. And you know, sometimes walking from one room to another can be scarier than traversing the most rugged cliffs or crossing the hottest desert. Like, have you ever had to do a walk like that? Do a walk to another room that you didn't want to do? I feel like that whenever I have an appointment with immigration, but anywho. (laughs) I'm sure her life went in slow motion. She does not know whether she will live or die. And at this point, Neither do we. Let's keep reading. Verse 2. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king, together with Haman, Come together to a banquet I have prepared for him. 
Bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what Esther asked. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. As they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, Now what is your petition? It will be given you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Esther replied, My petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. So, did she chicken out? No, she did not. There you go. Esther demonstrated her wisdom and discernment by not speaking to the king about the Jewish plight at that moment. She recognized that it was not the best time and place to do so and chose to invite the king and Haman to a banquet. By doing so, she acted wisely and avoided humiliating the king in front of his court. Now, some people might think, Esther, you missed the opportunity. I mean, the king just said you can have up to half the kingdom. He was pleased with her. Why didn't she just ask for the head of Haman in that time? We're not told why she delayed her request, but I'd like to draw our attention to the Middle Eastern culture. It is important to understand the cultural context of the Middle East. And it's quite similar to that of Belize, where I was born and raised. See, it is customary to approach a matter tactfully. This is based on cultural context here. And with proper protocol and etiquette. And in most cases, it is very insulting to get immediately to the heart of any matter. Now, I have lived in the U.S. for six years now, and I know just the thought of that is making some of you guys squirm in your seat because you're just like, let's have the conversation. Let's be direct. As a matter of fact, this is so difficult for me that as I've been going to school, one of the things is that we read books and we have to critique and review them. And my teacher wrote recently, he's like, Jesse, you are too kind. You need to review the book and be very firm in how you feel about the book. He said, you're too courteous. I said, I'm sorry. (laughs) And so in most cases, in a Middle Eastern culture, in a Belizean culture, it's very insulting to get immediately to the heart of any matter. You always beat around the bush. Talk about the weather, your respective families, current affairs, and so on, until finally you approach the subject in a tactful way. That is what is considered tactful. And if you've ever been on a mission trip, uh, I mean, we've had missionaries come to Belize. I served alongside missionaries, and they're like, man, why don't they just tell me what they want? Well, no, they want you to eat with them. They want to have conversation with you, beating around the bush. This is even the case at times when you are buying something in the market. You don't just slap money down and be on your merry way. Often, you haggle and negotiate the price. So, I'd like to think that Esther takes all of this into consideration by the Lord's leading and knew that it would be rude to ask for what she wanted right away. So, she invited the king and Haman to a meal as a way to approach the subject with tact and respect. When she was asked to make her request, 
her delay was a part of her plan, not a sign of indecision or fear. Yet, plan as she may, we know from the Bible that in the end, everything that takes place in the world is under God's control. As it says in Proverbs 16:9, in their hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Therefore, submitting our plans and life to the Lord is essential. His word teaches us that God has a unique and perfect plan for each of our lives. And we need to trust in him and follow his guidance if we are going to experience his will for our lives. So that's my first point. Submit your plans and life to the Lord. We see this in the way Mordecai lived his life. We see this in the way Esther is living her life. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and He will establish your plans. This verse tells us that when we surrender our plans to God and seek His will, He will direct our steps and establish our plans. Therefore, we need to acknowledge that in our human wisdom and understanding, that it's limited. It's limited, but God has perfect knowledge and wisdom to lead us on the right path. Why not consult him? I mean, he created us. Who better than to go to, than to the creator? I feel sometimes we're like people, often we go to the store sometimes and we buy something and it comes with an instruction manual. And some of us are like, you know what? I won't read the manual. I'll just figure it out because I can figure it out. And then somewhere along the way, we get stuck and we're like, oh, this thing came with an instruction manual. I can reference it. And I feel like that is what we do with our lives at times. Sometimes we're like, we know the creator. He created us. He has the instruction manual in so many ways. He has the direction for us. But we figure, you know what? I can figure this out. And somewhere when we hit a snag in the road, somewhere when there is heartbreak, Then we want to consult Him on those things. Submit your plans and life to the Lord. Furthermore, Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. This verse shows us that our plans may not always align with God's will, and we need to be open to His redirection. When we submit our plans to the Lord, we demonstrate humility and obedience, which are essential qualities for our spiritual growth and development. Psalm 37.5 says, Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will act. This verse assures us that when we trust in the Lord and submit our plans to Him, He will take action on our behalf. Friends, we can have confidence that God is working behind the scenes, orchestrating circumstances and events to bring about His plan for our lives. Now, we do live in a broken world. And because of sin, hard things happen. The enemy is always seeking and looking for a way to devour us. We'll come to that later on. But Jesus said that not even a sparrow falls to the ground without God knowing, Matthew 10, 29. Esther followed her plan, but those plans were first submitted to the Lord. And I don't know if you took note of this, 
But let's just notice that Esther had the banquet all prepared. See, she knew full well that she might die at the king's hand. But she went ahead and made her plans. And I get the sense that the attitude in her heart was like James in the New Testament who says, If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. This is a verse my wife is always saying to me. If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. In our lives, we do not know what will happen tomorrow. But as James teaches us, we can put our trust in the one who knows our future. And because the Lord can be trusted, Esther's actions demonstrate both her faith in God and her willingness to take risk in obedience to his will. She had prayed and fasted for three days prior seeking God's guidance and strength. And she trusted that he would be with her even in the face of possible death. And she was willing to take a step of faith, knowing that she might be the only one who could save her people. Act 2, Haman's prideful plotting. Let's look at verses 9 to 13 of chapter 5. Haman went out that day happy in high spirits, but when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fair in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. I think it's funny that he restrained himself and went home. But anyways, calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth his many sons, and all the ways the king had honored him and how he had elevated him above all the other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Haman added. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. And she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew, Mordecai, sitting at the king's gate. And so we see his response. He's filled with rage. Which brings me to my second point. Submit your emotions to the Lord. As Esther's banquet got underway, we see Haman's prideful arrogance and full display. He was delighted to have been invited by the queen and was convinced that he was on the verge of achieving his ultimate goal. The destruction of the Jewish people. And as Haman is leaving in high spirits, he caught sight of Mordecai outside the palace gates. And what happened? He was consumed with rage and determined to have him killed. So Haman had received honor for his achievements, especially from the king. But he received none from Mordecai. And Haman complained that he would not be able to enjoy his anticipated intimate meal with King Xerxes and Esther. Because Mordecai, the Jew remained a thorn in his side. And his close circle made a suggestion. Why not do away with him? And this reminds me of old King Ahab, one of the kings of the northern tribes of Israel, who pouted when Naboth, based on religious principle, refused to sell Ahab his vineyard. Now Ahab had a wife. Her name was Jezebel. And Jezebel hatched a plan to get Naboth's vineyard for her husband. And what did that plan involve? It involved the removal of the person who was in the way of the king's happiness. And she planned for the unjust execution 
of this man. And here too, in the book of Esther, we have something similar happening. And like King Xerxes, Haman was open to questionable advice, it seems. We just read it. But his friends suggested that they get rid of Mordecai. And what did he think? Haman thought, oh, it's a perfect solution. Perfect solution. Haman could not wait 11 months to destroy Mordecai. He wanted to kill him now. And the peculiar thing about this is that when we reflect on our lives, we might find that we are sometimes like Haman. We're tempted to place pride in our possessions and achievements. And we're tempted to seek honor from those around us. But this is why we must submit our emotions to the Lord, because emotions can be deceptive. The Bible teaches that our hearts can be deceptive and our emotions can lead us astray. Jeremiah 17, 9 states, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? The Lord. He does. Therefore, submitting our emotions to God means allowing Him to guide us in discerning what is true and what is false and which way we should go. Now, that's contrary to society because society tells me, you know what? Just do what makes you feel happy. Rage on this one. Cancel this person, etc., etc. But the Bible tells me not so. In fact, our emotions can lead to sin as James 1, 14 and 15 says. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin... When it is full grown, gives birth to death. Are you tracking with me? He got awfully quiet. I'll read that again. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Therefore, submitting our emotions to God means allowing Him to help us resist sinful impulses and instead live according to His will. While our emotions can be deceptive and lead to sin, they can also be used for good. When submitted to God's will, for example, in Mark 12.30, Jesus commands us to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Therefore, submitting our emotions to God means allowing Him to transform our hearts and use our emotions to serve and love him more fully, to serve and love our brothers more fully, to serve and love our communities more fully, to serve and love the people at work who get on our nerves more fully, to serve and love the people on I-5 who get on your nerves more fully. Remember, God's opposition to the proud is stated clearly. And according to the Apostle Paul, the only true basis for boasting is in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's be careful. Do not fall into the trap of Haman. Do not let your pride take control. Pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Haman's actions stand in stark contrast to Esther's faith and courage, to Mordecai's faith and courage. He was motivated by his own selfish desires. 
and his hatred of the Jews. He was blinded by his own pride and ambition and could not see that his plans were ultimately futile in the face of God's sovereignty. The chapter ends with a seemingly ominous note, or on a seemingly ominous note. Haman have constructed a spike in his yard to have Mordecai impaled. And the verse says it's 50 cubits. That's about 75 feet high. He was so enraged, he wanted to show everyone, here is Mordecai, the Jew. So where does that leave us? Because as I mentioned, life can be hard. How do you submit your emotions to the Lord in the midst of difficult things? Difficult times happen, and pain cannot be avoided in this life. When life doesn't make sense, do you turn to God or away from Him? Let the book of Esther encourage you that God is always present. Jesus called us friends, and the Spirit is our helper. Trust and obey as Esther did, and watch God weave all events, even the difficult ones, where it's difficult to submit our emotions. Watch God weave all events for His glory and for your good. For His glory and for your good. And I know that is hard. That is hard when you're walking through the thick of it. And there are times I'm walking through seasons and I'm like, God, I don't see how this is for my good. But he's been doing it from the beginning of time. And do you trust that he will do it even in your situation that you're walking through? We can trust in his providence and seek his guidance through prayer and fasting. Let's move to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. Act 3, sorry. Act 3, not Act 6. So Act 3, God's providence. And we'll pick up from Esther chapter 5 verses 14 to the end of chapter 6. So chapter 6 reveals a turning point in the story where God's providence is clearly seen. You've heard about the movie Sleepless in Seattle. Well, here we have Sleepless in Susa. And I know it's, uh, it's like such a dad joke, but I'll go with it. The chapter begins by telling us that King Xerxes could not sleep one night and he ordered that the chronicles of his reign be read to him. Now, King Xerxes had been in this point in reign for over 12 years. Do you know how many volumes would have been filled by the king's historians in 12 years if they were recording almost everything he did and said? Of any importance? Now I'm thinking now that sounded like I was going to give you the answer. But I'm, I, I don't know. I, I'm not. But let's just say we're looking at a lot of history here. But of all the texts that could have been selected, this one from the shelves is read to the king. Esther chapter 6 verses 2 and 3. It was found recorded that there, there that Mordecai had exposed Bigtana and Teresh two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. What a coincidence, right? No, 
No, it's not a coincidence. God is obviously at work. The king had totally forgotten about it. Which brings me to my last point here. A submitted life experiences his providence. A submitted life experiences his providence. I'll look at that more closely here in a bit. But King Xerxes asked his servants what had been done to honor Mordecai. And they replied, nothing. Just at that moment, Haman entered the court. Verse 4, the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole he had set up for him. His attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. Haman had come to ask the king's permission to have Mordecai impaled on the pole he had built for him. But King Xerxes had Mordecai on his mind and he asked Haman, how would he honor someone the king wishes to honor? Haman, being full of himself, thinks that the king was talking about him. So Haman suggested, verse 7, For the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head, then let the robe and horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse throughout the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Can you just see it? <laughs> Haman is thinking, the gods are smiling on me today. I have come to ask for the life of Mordecai, and now the king wants to honor me above everybody else. And then later, I get a private banquet with the king and Queen Esther. What a great day this will be. You know, I know Haman is a bad guy in the story, but you just have to feel sorry for him sometimes. Don't you? He's digging his own grave here and doesn't even know it. It is interesting to note that what Haman craves here is the same thing that Lucifer craved. Both wanted to receive the honor that was due the king. Haman wanted to receive the honor due a king. Lucifer wanted the honor due the king of kings. Submit our emotions to the Lord. So King Xerxes then ordered Haman to do exactly as he had just suggested for Mordecai. Haman had no choice but to comply with the king's order. And he had to lead Mordecai through the city on the horse, saying, This is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Let's pick up at verse 12. Afterward, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief and told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. His advisors and his wife Zeresh said to him, Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried him in a way to the banquet Esther had prepared. So a life submitted to God experiences his providence. Have you experienced the providence of God in your life? And the question that arises from Esther chapter 6 is, where is God in all this? Is God merely an invisible observer? Or is he actively involved in the events of the story? 
And the answer is clear. God's providence is at work in every detail of the story. There is no coincidences in this story. One coincidence by itself is not too amazing. But so many can only point to the hand of God. Let me go through them again. One, the king cannot sleep. Two, on the night he cannot sleep, Haman is planning Mordecai's death. Three, the king asked for history to be read to him, whereas there were many other things that he could have asked for. Four, of all the books that could be chosen, the one talking about Mordecai's red. Five, the king notices that Mordecai was not honored. Six, just as the king is wondering how to honor Mordecai, Haman enters the court. Seven, the king asks Haman how to honor Mordecai without naming Mordecai. I'll close with this. The Bible teaches and shows us that God is sovereign over all things and that He is the provider of all that we need. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, 25 to 34, to not worry about our basic needs because our Heavenly Father knows what we need and will provide for us. In Psalm 23, 1, the psalmist declares, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This means that when we submit our lives to God, we can trust Him to provide for our needs. You can trust Him to provide for your needs. However, it's important to note that submitting to God does not mean that we will never face difficulties or trials. In fact, Jesus Himself promised that we would have trouble in this world. But even in the midst of trials, God promises to be with us and to work out all things for our good. I'd like to call up the worship team at this time. So how about you? How about you sitting in here today? How about you listening online? Does it ever seem like God is absent from your life? I want you to just think for a moment about all the tiny miracles in your life. Because sometimes we can only remember the grand ways in which, the God, in which God has worked in our lives. But if you would even take a deep breath right now, it's a tiny miracle. Consider the chain of circumstances that has led you to him. If you're married, how did you meet and marry your spouse? Why are you living in the place you are now? What circumstances led you to your job? Who invited you to be here this morning or weeks ago or years ago? And you're here today. Church, God's care and protection for His children do, at times, come by mighty miracles. But often, often and more constantly, we experience His miracles through the unfolding circumstances of each day. And we take it for granted. One thing leads to another. So, submit your plans and life to the Lord. Submit your emotions to the Lord. And when you do those things, the 
that submitted life will experience His providence. You are experiencing it even today. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness in our lives, God. We thank you that even though we are walking through difficult trials, even though the questions remain, even though we don't have the answers, even though we may be broken, even though we don't have the words to put it into context, God, that you see us right where we are, but even more than seeing us, God, you're right there carrying us at times, God, ministering to us, Father. Lord, thank you for the reminder of your providence in our life. Thank you for the reminder that we do need to submit our life, our plans, our emotions, and our will to you. In your name we pray, amen and amen.